this is Pastor Daryl Beggs. You're listening to Sunday Morning Sermons from Central Baptist Church in Hillsboro, Texas. Thanks for joining us, and God bless you. Today, we're going to continue our journey through Hebrews, and today's message is called Better Than Angels. Years ago, there was a woman in a little town in New Mexico. Her name was Maria Rubio. She was frying tortillas for her husband's breakfast. And as she was frying them, she noticed that the pan had burned into one of those tortillas an image of the face that she thought looked like Jesus. Well, she got all excited about it. She called in her daughter and her husband. They agreed. She, they called the neighbors. They agreed. The tortilla face looked like Jesus. It was pretty incredible. She went to her priest to ask him to bless her tortilla that looked like Jesus. He was a little skeptical, skeptical but he talked to the husband. And the husband said, yes, this has made a difference in her life. She has become uh, more peaceful and happy and even more submissive. And so the priest was reluctant, but he blessed the tortilla. She took it home and, and she made a little shrine for it in the backyard and put it on a bunch of cotton so it would look like it was floating in the clouds and opened up for business, invited visitors to come. In just a few months, over 8,000 people had come to see Jesus the tortilla. Now that's kind of a funny story. As one, you know, a lot of people that came through, most everybody agreed that it looked like Jesus, except for one reporter, and he said it looked like the boxer Leon Spinks. So I don't know. Uh, but, you know, that is funny. But knowing who Jesus is is really not a laughing matter. If you're going to make it through this life and into the next one, you better know who He is and where your anchor is and where you stand. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. You know, Satan has launched repeated attacks against Jesus. Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? That's the most important question that we ever have to answer. There are a lot of uh, attacks against Jesus, against his humanity. There are even more attacks against his deity. Is Jesus really God? The Jehovah's Witnesses say that he is a God or that he is even a mighty God, but they believe that he was created as the archangel Michael. They believe that he's a created being. The Mormons believe that he is in some big long line of lesser gods. And it's a strange world that we live in. There's a lot of ideas out there about who Jesus is. So, it, you know, instead of just, of course, coming to church, which is important and being part, we really need to find an anchor for our soul and a place, a rock to stand on so we know who he is so that you know, as the world is getting more and more drifting away from who Jesus really is, it's going to be up to us to not only to stand where Jesus is, but to help the rest of the world see who he really is. So today we're going to talk about that a little bit. According to the scriptures, Jesus is eternal God. He created all things and he holds all things together. He is, there is no person or angel who is above God. Angels are not to be worshipped. Paul told the Colossians that people who worship angels are puffed up. They're proud and they're fleshly. They're looking for an experience. They're, they're trying to look for some new thing. That's kind of like our world, isn't it? I mean, there's all kinds of people who go to all kinds of places trying to find an experience to make them feel good, whether it's entertainment or even in a church that makes them feel good or to, to seek an experience. It's okay to have an experience if the experience comes while you're seeking God. But if you're seeking experience first as your God, then you've got that backwards. And that's what Paul said about he, 
he talked about these people who worshipped angels. So angels were a, a very important part of the history of the Hebrew people and the thought of the Hebrew people. In the Old Testament, we know that angels executed punishment. They protected God's people and they delivered messages. As a matter of fact, the word angel simply means messenger. That's the literal translation of the word angel. They are created servants of God. In the book of Acts, in the book of Galatians, it tells us that the angels were assisting with the creation. They were there at the creation. I'm sorry, not the creation, but they were there at the giving of the law. I got ahead of myself because that's later on, but he was, they are associated with the giving of the law. So there's no doubt that angels are a very important part of biblical history, but Jesus is no angel. He's better. He's greater. He's much more. He's the creator of angels. So how is Jesus better than angels and why do we even care about it? Let's, that's what we're going to talk about. In the first verse, verse 4, chapter 1 of Hebrews, he makes an announcement. He says in verse 4, having become, speaking of Jesus, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Now, what is in a name? Well, in the Bible, your name is who you are. It represents your character, your being, and not just what they call you, but what you're all about. He inherited a better name. Why are there so many verses here? We're going to look through these verses one at a time, and don't let that scare you. We'll try to go quickly, but meaningfully through these verses. But why so many verses to prove his superiority over the angels? Was there an ongoing problem? Well, you know, I don't know for sure. It doesn't really tell us, but apparently there was some kind of problem because they wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't have written this down under the influence of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So there must have been some kind of a problem there, maybe people seeking experiences, or maybe these Hebrew Christians looking back at the Old Testament and seeing the miracles of God, of, you know, how he, the burning bush and the uh, parting of the sea and the parting, you know, the holding back of the waters of the Jordan and all those miraculous things that happened and the angels that appeared. And maybe they were hoping for an angel. After all, they were under a lot of oppression and difficulty during that day. So he was pointing them away from experience and pointing them to Jesus. And so one theologian put it this way. He said, it's not that the readers find too much glory in angels, but they find too little of it in Jesus. These people are discouraged. They're discouraged because they've been beaten down by society for trusting in Jesus. If you're a Jew in, in the first century and you've trusted in Jesus as the Messiah, you've got a lot of people in your band of that, that early church, but you've also got a lot of people outside of that who are persecuting you. So they're beaten down emotionally. Many of them were beaten down physically and they were beaten down spiritually. And some of them were hurting to the point of saying, of thinking that maybe they had made the wrong decision. And the book of Hebrews is about helping them to press on and not give up. Uh, these people were going through difficult times and they needed the encouragement that comes from a clear understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, if we can get this, not only them, but us, if we can get who Jesus really is, then we can endure life and we can have victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can say, no matter what happens, He's still Lord because I know who He is. And so it's important for us to know that. I read a story about a bunch of cows. I really did. I do a lot of reading, wide reading. Uh, but anyway, I read a story about these cows that they were brown. And, you know, every day they got up, they had to wear the same thing, ladies, same, every day. Brown cows. 
And they got tired of being brown cows. They wanted to be something different. And so they decided that they got together and they got a plan together and they found some purple paint. And they knocked the purple paint over and they rolled around in it and you have a bunch of purple cows. And they were looking, they were so proud of their new color, they got up and were walking around and a farmer drove by in his pickup and almost drove off the road because he'd never seen purple cows. But then it rained. And all that was left was a puddle of purple dreams on the ground. No matter how they tried to dress it up, they were still just brown cows. You know, at the end of the day, when storms come and rains come and difficulties come and everything is washed away, what do you have left? If you're a Christian, you have Jesus. And that's enough, right? And that's what he's trying to tell them here. So he gives the announcement, and then secondly, he gives the argument. Why is this so? How could they be sure they could depend on him? He gives seven Old Testament quotes in these next several verses. And as I said, we're going to move through them quickly. The first quote is, you are my son. Look at verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you, and again I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. You are my son. This was quoted at Jesus' baptism in Mark chapter 1. It says when Jesus was baptized, there was a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. All the way up to this point in Jesus' life, he had not sinned. He was ready to begin his journey, his three-year journey as Messiah, as teacher and preacher until he went to the cross. And God said, this is him. This is my son. I'm pleased with him. We're ready to move forward with this. Now, the angels are referred to in the Bible as sons of God, but only Jesus is referred to as the son of God. And that's why the writer says he's better. He's the son of God. He's not created. He's the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the Scripture says. And the second quote we see here is, I will be his Father, that also in verse 5. Now, that is is taken from 2 Samuel, and it's the time when God was promising David that he was going to lift up his son Solomon. And Solomon was going to build the temple, and he said, Solomon's going to be a son to me. And it was later fulfilled, of course, in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was transferred by the words of the angel Gabriel when he spoke to Mary. Listen to this. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. What was the promise to God from, to David from God back centuries before that? That his his kingdom, would there would always be someone to reign on the throne of David, and that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a unique and intimate relationship between God the Father and God the Son. He, you are my son, he said, and I will be his father. The third one is, let all the angels of God worship him. Look at verse 6. And when he, he again brings the firstborn in the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. Do angels worship Jesus? Yes, they do. He's the firstborn. What does that mean, the firstborn? Does that mean he was created? No, that doesn't mean first in birth order. It means first in importance. Was David, the son of Jesse, the firstborn of all? No, he was the lastborn. He was the youngest, but he was the most important of all those boys because he became God's great king and leader. He was a man after God's own heart. When we speak of Jesus as the firstborn, we speak of him as the one 
who is the firstborn among many brethren, the Scripture says, because his death, his, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, he is able to bring all of us who put our faith into him into the family of God and into the eternal kingdom of God. That's the idea behind him being the firstborn. He is of first importance in all things. The angels worshipped him at his birth. You remember that? Glory to God in the highest what? And on earth peace, goodwill to men. It was a big angels, angels, thousands of them worshiping him. And then they continue to worship him. Listen to this. And they will worship him in the end of days. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. I don't know how many angels God has, but I know there's a lot. And they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive what? To receive power. Who has all power? Jesus. To receive riches. Who holds all the resources of the world in his hand? Jesus. And wisdom. Who has all wisdom? Jesus. And might. Who is all powerful? And honor. Who, who deserves our honor? And glory and blessing. See, all of these things, the angels are leading in this chorus to Give Him praise and worship Him. And so He is saying, Jesus is better than angels because angels worship Him. They are created beings. And then the fourth saying is, who makes His angels winds and fire. Look at verse 7. That's an interesting verse. He says, and of the angels, He says, who makes His angels winds and His ministers a flame of fire. Angels are ministering spirits. It's interesting because we can't see them. You can't see them. I can't see them. But they're around us. We know that. We know that by stories in the Bible. We know that they're around. Uh, we know that sometimes that they presented themselves in human forms to people in the Bible and scared people a lot. And they had to say, it's okay, don't be afraid. I've got a message for you from God. But they are ministering angels. They are at the beck and call of Jesus. And they do what He tells them to do. They carry out His mission. But they are as fleeting, someone said, but they're as fleeting as the brush of wind against the face and fire that goes out. Their assignments are temporary. They're here and there and everywhere as God directs them. But Jesus' assignment is eternal. He is always and forever present. He is always there. In Revelation 22, it tells us that John fell down at the feet of the angel who gave him the message. And the angel said, don't do that. I am a fellow servant. What you need to do is heed the words that I've told you and worship God. And so even the angel pointed him to Jesus. Number five is your throne will last forever, verses eight and nine. Look at that. But the son, but of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Now notice that he says, your throne, O God. So he calls Jesus, he refers to Jesus as God. Is that right? This is yes, and this is no, and this is let me out of here. He refers to Jesus as God right there. So not only did Jesus claim to be God, but the Scriptures claim Jesus as God outside of what He said. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Your throne will last forever. In Jesus, the promise of David is fulfilled. Now notice here he says, now get this, listen for a minute. <laughs> this is important. Listen, uh, students, young people, graduates, all of you. 
This is important. It says that he loves righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, on the screen, has anointed you with oil of gladness above. And so, righteousness, loving righteousness and hating lawlessness brings joy to life. The world tells us that you can't have fun if you follow Jesus, if you love righteousness. But the Scripture tells us the exact opposite, that there is joy in following Jesus and practicing the righteousness that He calls us to, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Especially for the Christian, because we have someone who lives inside of us that when we go into unrighteousness and when we stray away, there's a misery that comes upon our lives that tells us we need to get back where we need to get. So righteousness and joy always go together. I'm going to ask you to do something with me this morning because I think this is an important part of this passage. Righteousness and joy always go together. Can you repeat that with me? Righteousness and joy always go together. One more time. Righteousness and joy always go together. And we need to be reminded of that because we're pulled in all different directions in our day and time. We need to know that. You need to know that when you get into a situation that you know you're not supposed to be in. And, you know, sometimes the best, uh, the best defense against temptation is a good pair of tennis shoes. Just get out of there. Just remember that righteousness and joy go together. And he, it says, he's talking about here the oil of gladness. That means his triumph over sin and his return to glory. His righteousness brought joy. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Was everything about Jesus' life joyful? No, it wasn't. I mean, they tried to kill him. They tried to kill him many times before they ever killed him. Jesus' life was not taken by the Romans or by the Jews. It was given at the appointed time in history for you and for me. But he went through difficulty. He, he learned obedience through suffering. That's what the Scripture says. So if he had to learn obedience through suffering, and he's the perfect Son of God, why would we think we're off the hook? So it's important for us to remember that. His throne lasts forever. Everything created is, subject, is subject to Him. And everything changes and decays, but not the reign of Jesus because He's better. The sixth thing is, you remain the same. Verse 10, look at verse 10. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all become old like a garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. That's the good news, isn't it? Everything wears out. Like the shirt Natalie had up here in my body, and I can't ride, a, ride at Six Flags anymore that flips me over and over. It doesn't work as well as it used to. I just have figured out I'm not built for that anymore. Things wear out, but... Life and creation are transitory, and they have a beginning and the end, but not Jesus, and not the reign of Jesus. Everything is created through Him. He has no beginning, and He has no end. He's saying Jesus is God. He's saying to these Hebrew people that have this rich history that God has, 
has chosen them. I mean, he, he calls this man called Abraham out of the middle of nowhere, a place called Ur in the middle of Chaldeans. And he says, I will make of you a great nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And he has his hand on these people through centuries and centuries and centuries. He finally sends the Messiah. And many of these Hebrew people come into faith in Christ. And so God is saying to them, the same God who is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who made this promise is fulfilling it through Christ because He is God. Don't give up. That's what He's saying to them. He's trying to encourage them in the middle of their difficulty. And notice one last thing here, the seventh thing. He says, sit at my right hand in verse 13. It says, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Sit at my right hand. Gabriel went to Zacharias in the temple. You remember the story of how he appeared to him? And he said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Did Gabriel stand or sit? He said, I stand. He stood in the presence of God. He was a mighty angel, but he couldn't sit in the presence of God because there's only one who can do that. That's the Lord Jesus Christ who finished His work and sat down at the right hand of the Father in the place of authority. And there, He is interceding. He was interceding for these Hebrew people. He loved them so much, He commissioned this letter to them to encourage them, to bless them, and to say, Jesus is above angels and miracles and experiences. And even when the days are dark, remember, He is still God. And don't give up. And He encourages them with that. So, seven texts, one point. Jesus is better. Angels are impressive. They're around everywhere, even though we can't see them. But only Jesus is Lord. So he gives an announcement, and then he gives the argument through all of these verses, and then he comes to an application. What's the point of all this? Look at chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Because of who he is, we have to listen, he says. Have you noticed we live in a really very pluralistic society anymore, even in America? I mean, people believe all kinds of crazy things. I went to a conference years ago, and John MacArthur came in from California to speak, and he said, I, I bring you greetings from the, from the believers out in California. It's a strange place. He said, you could go down to the beach and put on a bathrobe, tell people you're Moses, and have 20 followers before sundown. Well, California has come all the way across. It's here. And there's a lot of people who believe a lot of crazy things. In, in our society, in the United States of America, there's a lot of people who believe that Jesus is, was a really good man, that He was a great moral teacher, and that He would never judge anybody, that, that all those parts about judgment in the Bible are, you know, somebody just made those up. But we just like the part where he loves everybody and he says, judge not lest you be judged. And we let that cover everything because we want to have a life. We don't have a life. We don't want to have a life of righteousness. We want to have a life of license where we can do anything we want and then just slide on into heaven when the time comes because Jesus is a nice guy. That's going to, have you noticed that? It's everywhere. It's all over everywhere. 
But then there are over a billion people in our world who are deceived. By the way, these are roads that, that, that lead to hell. Over a billion people in our world are deceived. You know what they believe? They believe that Jesus was a mighty man and a great prophet, but He was neither the Son of God nor God. And those are the people of the Muslim faith who not only live in our world, but live all around us. Who have mosques in all of our major cities now. Now I'm not saying that they shouldn't be able to do that in America. We, we have freedom of religion or freedom of no religion. That's what our country was founded on. But, but I'm just telling you that as Christians, it's important for us to know where we stand because there's a lot of deception and a lot of roads that lead straight to the devil's hell. And it's deceiving people while we hang on and sometimes are not bold enough to share the truth. You know, if a house is burning down, you'd try to do something to get people out. I need to pray for more urgency, and all of us do, about this, because there's a lot of deception going on. Why was he so worried about them worrying about angels? Because he wanted them to know that no matter what, they had a place to stand. People who are deceived have no place to stand. Let me ask you something this morning. Are you glad? Do, re, do you rejoice that somehow you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have a place to stand? If you do, if you know Him, then you know who your authority is. Because of who He is, listen. Because of who He is, obey. Mark Twain was visiting with a friend one time, and the friend told him, I can't wait. One of these days, I'm going to go to the Holy Land. I'm going to go up on the mountain where God gave the law to Moses, and I'm going to recite the Ten Commandments, to which Mark, Mark Twain replied, why don't you just stay here and keep them? What did, I, 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 read the, I read the story of Saul and Samuel again this week. You remember that God, God had told Saul to lead the armies of Israel and to destroy everything. But Saul decided to disobey God and keep some of the finest animals. And Samuel showed up and he said, why didn't you obey? And Saul said, well, I did obey. And then Samuel had that great line, then what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? Oh, Saul said, it's, it's okay. You know, Saul kind of, it went to his head that he was the king. and he, It's okay, we just kept a few of the best ones for sacrifice. You remember what Samuel replied? Obedience is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. God's not interested in your plan. He just wants you to follow His plan. And Saul, <laughs> Saul didn't get that. So, obedience is important. And then... Because of who He is, don't give up. Keep going. Stay with Jesus. They weren't the only ones who get discouraged, were they? You ever been discouraged? You may be discouraged about something today. Maybe today you needed to hear this, that, that things may be blowing up all around you, but you can know that there's still a place to stand, that there's still a person to trust, the Lord Jesus Christ, that He's solid. 
When Jesus had given these difficult teachings in John chapter 6, the whole crowd started to bail on him. And he looked around and there just wasn't anybody left. And he looked at the disciples and he said to them, you don't want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus is better even when life is falling completely apart and you're not sure what's going to happen. He's a place where we can stand above all other places, all other ideas and all other pluralistic ideas in our society and all other religions. Every other religion and idea has somebody who died who led it and didn't rise from the dead. But ours has a Savior who died and rose again that we might have victory for now and for eternity. So Jesus is better, right? He's better than angels. He's even better than a tortilla with a face in it. Do you believe this? Thank you.